Welcome to Freed Up. This is the podcast space where life feels lighter. You know, sometimes life can have us feeling worn out and weighed down, locked up and left out, or just simply looking for more. And if that sounds like you, then you are in the right place. You can live freed up and not fed up. Well, I told you that we were going to cover a really important episode to commemorate National Recovery Month. And I have an amazing guest today who is an expert in this area. And I'll tell you more about her and our connection when you tune into this episode. This conversation about addiction and recovery is often an overlooked topic when we think about mental health. And so today we are bringing awareness and raising the flag on our need to really tune in to the needs of those who are in recovery and how we can support them toward their goals of getting freed up. Stay tuned to this one. This is part one of a two-part conversation in two episodes. I promise these are two segments you do not want to miss. We'll be back in a moment. All right, Freedom Family, we are back with yet another podcast episode um, in this series that we've been doing this year about release. You know, that's our theme. I have to say that every time um, just to keep us centered and focused on what it is that God is allowing us to do this year. He's letting us let go of some things. But also, as we let go, we are receiving some things as well. And as we do this um, series, we've been talking about trauma. And you all have been responding. And so as we are in this this series, we talked about um, suicide prevention this month because this is National Suicide Prevention Month. So our last episode was on that. And I promised y'all I was going to have the bomb guest come on to help us commemorate National Recovery Month. And so I'm super excited to introduce her because she actually is the original Ina in our family. She is the G to the Ina. And I am the T to the the Ina. (laughs) So I'm super excited to have my big sister on who actually, um, I have so many things that I could say, so much fondness for her, but tremendous amount of respect because she really is the person that has led our family in really this healing phase. I mean, I've been in the field, the mental health field for a while, but Gina really has led us in this little did she know by her own life, the demonstration of her own life and the things that she chose to do to really stretch out and to one, just receive God's grace and two, to walk in freedom. And so I think so many of us, her siblings have walked in those footprints that she has uh, set out. So that's as much as I would tell you. I'll let her tell you a little bit about what she does professionally because I've been talking a minute. What's up, sissy? (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you today. So excited. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, it is coming at some point and I always am thinking, okay, what makes the most sense um, for, for Gina to be on? And this was the piece that, that really just it bubbled up. And um, I was like, this is absolutely it. I need an expert to come on and talk about this in a way that is going to literally just penetrate the hearts of those who are in this recovery space. I feel like this is a space sometimes, G, that gets overlooked at times when we talk about 
trauma. We're talking about suicide prevention. We're talking about um, trauma relationships and getting over abuse, but recovery sometimes gets lost. And I really wanted to elevate that. And I said, there's nobody else to do this, but, but gee. So talk a little bit about what you do professionally, first of all, because I want people to know and hear from you and the work that you do. Um, well, and I and I agree with you that we overlook we overlook um, this piece, which can be a barrier and an obstacle to so many other places that we want to heal from. And so I have the the blessing of being able to minister in a space um, in a recovery center. Mm. And when I am speaking of recovery in this sense, I am talking about substance use recovery. Mm-hmm. And then I want to be clear that as I speak about substance, that's any substance that is used to change a mood or alter a mind space um, to bring about greater relief than I can just get on my own mm-hmm. and from any substance wet or dry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, some of those substances are legal, some are illegal. Right. Um, but we, you know, we have tendency to to misuse them. And so today I, I serve in an organization that is PACE, which is in Indianapolis. PACE is Public Advocates for Community Reentry or in Community Reentry. And PACE is an organization that services individuals that have had engagement in any shape, form, fashion with the justice system. And, and then there is that side of us that says, you know, a lot of that is centered and grounded in the excess use and misuse of substances. And mm-hmm. so we also house a recovery resource center to be a resource to those individuals that are wanting and seeking that recovery in their life and also to community and to family members mm-hmm. who don't really understand the mm-hmm. use or the recovery journey. So I get a chance to be here and um, and work. I have a, 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 a title here, but it, what I really do is just get to minister out of the, my own personal experiences and then look at resourcing for individuals that are seeking that recovery in their life. Yeah, no, I, you know, I'm a fan of Pace because I'm a fan of yours, first of all, but uh, you kind of got me connected and I get y'all's newsletters monthly and keep up yeah. with everything that's going on. And I love the fact that you raised um, this important point about individuals who are interfacing with the justice system, that there is this intersection of a lot of mental health issues that really drive some of that behavior. And then, um, you know, addiction becomes a part of that. But at the end of the day, all of it is rooted in those spaces that are are broken and hurting and and really need support. So we look at addiction as a mental health issue. That's what it is. Yes, it is. And so I love that you raised that. And something else you said, too, G, was about really extending to families that systems approach is so key because it is not just about the individual. You know, that's my social worker roots that'll come mm-hmm. in. It's like mm-hmm. it's the person in the environment. And so a lot of your work is with those families as well. You mentioned your personal passion and commitment to the work. You want to share a little bit more about that? 
So I am a person. So those systems have languages to them. So all of these systems that we work in, um, addictions, treatment, recovery supports, mental health, all of these systems have language to them. So I am what they would call a person in long-term recovery. Um, I'm not always sure of what the the measurement of long-term is, but I'm going to go ahead and call mine long-term today. August 26th of this year, I celebrated 25 years of continuous Ooh. abstinence from any substances. Yes, uh, and again, wet or dry. So I don't, um, I don't indulge in any substances. And Lord knows I indulged in a lot long before this. And I don't drink. And I haven't done so in 25 years. It's made all the difference in my life. It's made all the difference in my family's life. It's made all the difference in my community's life. Um, and so that, you know, I'm loving the theme of this National Recovery Month. Mm-hmm. Recovery is for everyone, mm-hmm. every individual, every family, every community. It's powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an organization, Faces and Voices of Recovery, and and early on in my personal recovery journey. And and let me just be clear, I'm not saying that you know every now and then I smoked a joint. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I had a daily crack habit, mm-hmm. uh, and I can't even tell you how long that lasted because it stole time from me as well. So I don't even really know the the measure of time uh, Mm -hmm. on it, but I do, I know this measure of time. I know this measure of healing. I know this measure of freedom. I know that 25 years really well. Yeah. What's happened along the way is God, I have no idea. I mean, you know, it just happened one day I was sitting, um, after my, my third treatment center and then the choice was suggested to me and I made a choice to move on to a woman's uh, recovery home. And so even at the point I, I, my children were all born and I had a grandchild at that time. And I, so I went to that recovery home, women's recovery home. And I learned so much about how to live my life and how to live it without substances. Um, at that particular point in time, I ran into the president of the treatment center where I had done my last two treatments. And she literally just shoved me into a job in the treatment center. I went scared, scared to death, not believing, not believing that I had what it took to do the job and certainly not even believing at that point that God would allow me to do the job. Um, But here it is. And now it's 23 years later Mm. of being in this field, being groomed, being trained, being educated um, and promoting. And so now I have the amazing opportunity to teach others how to do this work of recovery supports. And I'm real grateful for that. So that is my personal passion um, Mm. as it relates to the work that I get to do every day. And we don't always get to work and do what we just love and want to do. No, (laughs) So that is a blessing too. Yes. And to be able to do that work that you love and you have a passion for, but then you also have the lens into it from that personal Mm -hmm. um, testimony. You're one that can look at them and say, yes, I get it. Been there. What I really wanted to go to and what you said was that you got pulled in during the time that you were in recovery. I need you to talk about that because one of the things, and I mentioned this the other day in a, in a IG post, that for some reason, we, we have an issue with brokenness in our society. Mm. And we label, we, and this is something that's just a part of our culture. It's a part of the acculturation that we've experienced 
as we think about um, you know, how we really want to be. And some, sometimes if things don't line up with what society says is the right way to be or the best way to be. And so yeah. we label that, we push aside, we ostracize the other. And yeah. the fact that you were pulled in, what did that mean to you? That you weren't at the space where you felt like, hey, I should be doing this. You went scared, but that person that pulled you in knew that uh-huh. you needed to be in that space at that time. She knew. She knew. Um, you know, I, I think that when when you talk about societal stigmas um, and labeling, and and those are marks of shame or discrediting mm-hmm. based on the systems that this world has created. Mm-hmm. Because it, you know, when we look back and we realize that you know, even as I take a journey through my Bible, I just find nothing but broken, beat up abuse, misuse, mm-hmm. tired, desperate people. Mm-hmm. And then God is performing miracles through all of their lives. Yes. You know, yes. which says if if I if I'm able to look at that and I am today, it says that God loves all of us, no matter what those little quirks are that come with us. Mm-hmm. Our society doesn't say that. Right. Our society says this little thing wrong with you then, okay, we've got to set you aside. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even in, even in our, our, um, our spiritual realms and our spiritual houses, we have tendency to set people aside. And when we do that, when we don't make open space for people, mm-hmm. when we don't look in and look in and see the beauty of the gifts and the talent and the skills that come along with a person, um, and and help them to see it, mm-hmm. then we miss out on a blessing that God has for us. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that's what that lady saw that day in me. Although I'm sitting in the corner shaking, scared, because one thing is I don't want to use anymore. And I'm scared to go out of this house because if I do, I just might, because that's what I know how to do now. Um, but also just having a conversation with me. She sat there with me on that couch for that entire time we were there, which was a few hours we were working on a project and just talked to me. Mm-hmm. And in the conversation, I believe she heard the grounding that was put in me, the foundation that was put in me, the mm-hmm. education that I had, the just the I the ability to just think and reason things out. And she didn't set me out in that facility to just come in and start a little job. She called the HR director and I went to that facility where I had just left two years ago Mm -hmm. as a director in that facility. Mm -hmm. She took my food service, my hostessing, my um, Mm -hmm. restaurant skills, and I ended in that facility as the food service director. That was my first job in that facility. And so that was the open door for them. What I believe that God had for me was then to be able to move into other spaces and learn treatment and learn basics of addiction, um, learn basics of counseling, and then to be connected with people who would move me forward in this field. Mm. Um, so, yeah, at a time that I didn't have a clue, you know, kind of like I didn't even know how to tie my shoes, but somebody else saw something and then they began to work with it. Yeah. She saw the next level up. So that's the real, that's the real level up you right know. there. Is really <laughs> yes. Just being able to see that envision. But but gee, what really what you said that is so powerful is that she saw you. She and saw me. That's 
that's really in the addiction space, in any space where we feel mm-hmm. like we're not at our best. We just want to be seen. And so yes, I talk a little bit about that's a, a very important factor when it comes to shame. One is to be seen mm-hmm. and to be known and to be appreciated regardless of what existed there. But talk a little bit about more um, as it relates to what are the supports, what other factors mm-hmm. go into really helping someone who's in that in that space and in that mindset. So, you know, one of the greatest spiritual principles that we find in in um, in any opportunity to help someone is acceptance. Mm. And and boy, if we could just grow in our levels of acceptance of people and everything that that is a part of them, you know, not the things that I think they should be, not the things that I want them to be, not the things that not the things that I pray for them to be, but what is them right mm-hmm. here, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to accept, and that doesn't mean that we like everything. Acceptance doesn't say that. There's nothing in that definition that says I like it all. I just recognize that it is what it is. Yeah. And then also remembering to come with a heart that says that, you know, fundamentally, there is a belief in God in every person. We may not know to call it God, but yeah. we do recognize that we're not standing here on our own. Mm -hmm. fundamentally we do to know that what God created is good after Mm -hmm. every piece of creation God says and it was good Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. that includes the creation of us as human beings and it was good and so you know I might break a fingernail today but you know what I'm not ever troubled by that because I know there are so many different ways to correct that I can go buy a fingernail. I can wait for this one to grow back. I can, you know, I can press one on, whatever it is. It's still good. It's still good. And so I think to your point of seeing that person, but seeing them as good, seeing them as already having value and worth, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not that they're going to get some. Now, you know what? I'm going to get some more, but I already have value and worth. Mm -hmm. Seeing them as a brother, as a sister, um, I do an exercise when I'm training recovery coaches and I ask them to uh, write the names down of, of all the things you've ever heard a person that uh, labors with an alcohol addiction, write the name down of all the things you've ever heard. And, and it never fails that that list comes out with all of the negative things that we've ever heard about anyone, mm-hmm. you know, alky, drunk, all of those things. And then when we come back together as a larger group, what we'll point out is that I didn't see anybody write down mother, father, mm-hmm. sister, mm-hmm. brother, neighbor, all of these negative and these ugly names come out. So back again to your point of seeing, seeing that's somebody's mother, yeah. that's somebody's sister, that's somebody's brother. And then second to that hearing, mm. no matter what that is, hearing. So many times as recovery coaches, and that is a strong piece of support in this recovery uh, work, just listening, just listening Mm -hmm. and letting a person finally say anything and everything they ever wanted to say Mm -hmm. to get it up out of them. Um, So I think those are, you know, two major pieces of recovery support. You know, there's treatment, there's support, uh, there's the journey. And, and there's living and 
but I think those are two of the strongest pieces. Yeah, you know what? The the hearing is where you know that you've been felt. And we talk about I, you feel me when you hear me. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. is so important. And, you know, this this piece of often I know I've talked to to folks who struggle with substance use and it's like the judgment yeah. that is felt so many times that there's this blaming um that somehow, you know, you decided that this was going to be part of your life when you were like one or two years old. And like, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to be this. <laughs> I'm going to do this. No, that doesn't happen. There's so many factors no. that affect and really are foundational to um, addiction. But part of that is just being felt by someone. So that listening is so important. Listening without judging. And that's empathy. Yes. Yes. That's empathy. Um, and I, I appreciate the acceptance piece because. That is absolutely at the core of who we are by nature, that God created us and we were accepted Hmm. when he made us. And as you said, and we are good. And the parts that make us feel shameful, shame entered the picture when sin happened, the deception happened first. And so whenever we feel shameful, where we've been told that we're accepted, that's the deception that we all have, we all struggle with in some way in our lives, that we believe that lie, that we are not valuable and we're not good. Right. Um, and right. so that's, I'm sure, a lot of work that happens in the addiction space. And I, I really want you to expand a little bit more on the the, the faith aspects and the spiritual aspects, because I know that's part of the 12 steps and they're parts of other recovery frameworks. But talk a little bit about how that showed up for you. And then how do you extend that to um, others in your work? And I, I think if it were understood more by more people, we might see others travel that road. I love um, there is a, a piece in the literature that states trudging the road of happy destiny. Mm. Uh, and we may see others trudge that road of, of happy destiny. You know, one of the things I didn't know about 12-step program. First, let me say this. There are multiple pathways to recovery. So everyone does not have to come by way of a 12-step program. However, this is the one that worked for me. And this is the one that I know has a a divine design on it. And so those other pathways stem from it. Um, But, you know, spiritual principles such as acceptance, hope, faith, surrender, courage, integrity. You know, if I was not going to even try to, to work with that program, honesty, patience, willingness, brotherly love, self-discipline, service, all of those things, all of those things, which are things we should be living by anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the things that are taught in this 12-step process. Um, I wasn't going to work with this because why are all those people sitting in that room? And I come from this very strong Christian background. You know, when people get together like that and they're not doing Bible study, that could be mistaken as a cult. So I'm not really getting ready to go over here. These people say they're not drinking and using, but I don't know about that. I'm glad that I did because coming into that, it really was, this is, this was the way I came back to God. Mm. It was this program that brought me back to God. This program that immediately in the second step tells me to start to rely on something greater than me. Mm. And I'm so grateful that I already had a reference point for Mm -hmm. who and what was greater than me. Uh, And then to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. Now, I struggle with that. What do you mean, God, as I understand? Because there's only one God. 
Um, but just very quickly, it took me back to that whole I am in Old Testament Bible that says, you know, tell them I am that I am sent. Mm -hmm. You know what I am that I am means to me today is I am fill in the blank. What do you need, Gina? That's what I am. Yeah, yeah. And so turning will and life over to that. And so working through those steps, which don't say anything more than um, probably things we learned in church, things we learned in school, things we learned from our parents. You know, you do something wrong, then you got to go back and make that right. You got to be have enough courage to go back and make that right. What What is it that you can do? You want to say that. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame actually can be alarm systems for an individual to say, that's not right. Don't do that. You shouldn't have done that. You need to correct that. Those can be alarm systems. It's just when we misuse them sure. and we, we use them to hammer people with them, that those things are, are not good. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole spiritual sickness piece that goes along with addiction. And as much as we have to affect the primary healing for that person, which will be the physical, the detox pieces, the um, getting everything out of the body, you know, just actually making sure the body works well. Then there's also the secondary, which is going to be the emotional, the mental and the spiritual part of that person has to be healed as well for them to remain abstinent from any substance or even to moderate to get finally to an abstinence. Mm. So that holistic approach is so important. Um, so no other so, way. There's no other way. So let me so let me throw this out here because I know you're gonna catch it and come okay. back with something. Um, I need you just to pray about it. Mm-hmm. That's one okay. approach to mm-hmm. a holistic picture. <laughs> and which prayer should I pray? How about now? I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, we, could it be that one? Or you know, is it? you know, now unto him who is able to keep me from falling and present mm-hmm. me faultless. I mean, which prayer should I pray? Yeah. yeah. For that to just get up and lead me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so we we both know the power yeah. of prayer is, it's immeasurable. We cannot measure what it's going to do. But there's there's also another piece in, in that literature that states that God will not render us white as snow and keep us that way without our cooperation. Mm -hmm. Meaning I'm going to need to do some things. Question is, if this is first day without having had a drink, if this is first day without having had a drug, do I know what to do? So somebody needs to wrap their arms around me to teach me Mm -hmm. the things to do. The actual human touch. We talked about seeing, hearing, now, how about touching mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. an actual human touch that says, walk this way. You take two steps to the right. You'll miss that mud puddle right there. Two mm-hmm. steps to the left. You won't hit that boulder. Mm-hmm. So here, God is able to use other human beings to show us the way. And we pray. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I love that some, you know, the Bible also says, pray, uh, watch and pray. <laughs> So sometimes I got to pray with one eye open because I need to make sure the wrong people don't come in my space. I'm still not doing the wrong thing. I got to pray with one eye, watch and pray. Yes, yes, yes. So important. We need all those tools. And you know what? We have a God who is so rich um, in provision 
and he has provided resources for us and wisdom. He said, if you ask me for wisdom, I'll give it to Mm -hmm. you. That wisdom that leads us to how do I guide myself or how do I support a family member or a friend who's who is struggling with addiction and um, needs help. And so we want to employ all of those resources that God gives us. So yes, you brought that home. And I just thought about now <laughs> unto him who is able to do according to the power that works in us yeah. as partnerships. So we got to yes. assist. That's what we got. Yeah, we got to do something. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. I learned so much. Gina, thank you. Thank you for sharing not just your heart, your passion, and your personal story, but helping us understand from a professional and a clinical perspective what we need to be doing to support those who are in this very critical space of recovery. And we are so thrilled that you're going to come back and give us even more information. Now, the next episode, y'all, be prepared because we're going to talk about and really zero in on what is it that families need to know and to do because families are such a big part of the intervention. Meet us back here in a couple weeks because y'all know how we do it, right? And always remember, you do not walk this path alone. I am walking right alongside you along with the rest of the Freed Up family. God loves you. I love you. And make sure you take care of you.